Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. So hello and welcome back to another episode of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. I'm joined today by Professors Chad Carlos and Shad Morris, both of whom are researchers at Brigham Young University and co-authors of a recently published study, The Impact of Growth Mindset on Entrepreneurial Action Among Necessity Entrepreneurs. That's a long title, but I think we'll get into like what that means exactly and earth people talk in a second, but there's, I think, a super interesting study. And that's why I wanted to have Chad and Shad on the podcast. So Dr. Shad Morris is the William F. Edwards Distinguished Fellow and Professor of Management at BYU's Marriott School. And then Dr. Chad Carlos holds the title of Associate Professor of Entrepreneurship at BYU's Marriott School, where his research examines the fields of entrepreneurship and non-market strategy. So I'm podcasting them today to discuss their cutting-edge research into this growth mindset and growth mindset applications, the expanding field of entrepreneurship, and how organizational management strategies can be applied to help the developing world. Chad and Shad, I really appreciate you taking time to be on my podcast today. Yeah, Thank thanks you very for much, having us. We're real excited to, to visit with you. So I, I won't go through the long each of your backgrounds. I won't read through your bios, but why don't you... Could I ask you each to give me kind of the, for our listeners, the brief, who are you guys? If you could like, just give your backgrounds if you would, and then we can, we can go into some of the questions. I I was really taken with your study. Let me start by just saying my first exposure to real poverty came when I was a a 19 year old volunteer for my church. I spent two years in, in Bulgaria, and this was shortly after the collapse of communism. It's a very surreal experience for me. I, it was actually my first time ever being out of the country, ever being on an airplane. And I get into Bulgaria and see just a, a collapsed economic and political system, the fallout of this system where people, the massive unemployment, massive food shortages, people, engineers, bright individuals who couldn't find work, trying to make a living. And I remember walking down the street one day and seeing behind this couple he was wearing a suit. The woman was in a dress. And they, I'm like, what a what cute little couple. They're, you know, they're going for a walk. And they stopped and started rummaging through a garbage can on the side of the street. Just having that experience and seeing, wow, this is, people don't have the same luxuries, the same opportunities we have in the U.S. And that was my first exposure. And then I came back and decided I'm going to do something. As my as an undergraduate, I interned for Grameen Foundation USA. In fact, I was their first intern when and, and I got very much involved in microfinance and started thinking the solution to the problem is is access to capital. People need money. These entrepreneurs and, and individuals throughout the world need access to capital, and they don't have that. And and later on in my work, I started getting into human capital development, giving people the skills and knowledge they need to grow. And then it kind of moved to this study, which looks at a a different angle on all of that. That's amazing. And how about you, Chad? Yeah. So similar to Chad, I I come at this uh, with kind of a combination of some personal motivation and 
regards to my exposure to poverty, as well as then my research that's focused on entrepreneurship and innovation. And so, you know, from a, a young age, I was exposed to poverty. My father is an immigrant from the Philippines. And when I was five years old, he took our family to visit the Philippines. And, you know, as a, a kid growing up in middle class America, this was completely eye opening. It, it really changed my view of the world, seeing how uh, individuals were living there and and just seeing things and meeting people uh, and having connections with people living in poverty that I had never experienced really stuck with me. And and I've long thought about how I could try to find ways to, to address this, this huge grand challenge. And from a research perspective, I've started my career actually uh, as a consultant in Silicon Valley, working for tech companies like Google and and others, and, and got to see how innovation and entrepreneurship could have massive impacts. And a lot of my research has, has focused on those areas. And so this study is kind of a culmination of both that internal motivation of trying to seek for solutions for, for poverty that could be large scale and, and have an impact around the world, and then bringing in some of the things that we've learned from entrepreneurship to see how those might apply. Okay, so what what is this study? What was the study and what did you look at? And what was the impetus? I certainly understand kind of the background and what your background's about. What was the impetus behind the specific study and what was the study? Yeah, so the, really the, the initial motivation for this study came out of a problem that this non-governmental organization in Tanzania was, was facing. They said, we have this mission to alleviate poverty by providing entrepreneurship training. And our whole idea is that if we train people to become better entrepreneurs, they will be able to generate more income, which will improve the quality of life for them, for their families, their communities, and will have this ripple effect of helping individuals and communities throughout the country. But the problem was they said, look, we're spending millions of dollars on these training programs, but we're not seeing the impact that we're hoping for. People come, they leave the training program, they've developed all of these new skills and abilities, but then they don't actually put them into practice. So can you guys come and help us understand why this isn't having an impact, why people aren't actually applying what they're learning? Chad, what about yeah. you? We went in and we said, first and foremost, we're not here to solve the problem. We're here to help work with ideas that you have and then to study this to see if there is an impact, right? We'll test it out to see what works and what doesn't. We went in with some preconceived notions based on our own background, based on what they had thought about, which was, you know, we originally thought the problem had probably had something to do with the training. The training program wasn't sufficient. This was an ILO, International Labor Organization training called Start and Improve Your Business, which has been done all over the world over and over again with pretty good measures of success. And so we thought, well, maybe there's something wrong with the training, or maybe there's something wrong with access to capital. People don't have the capital. They don't have the resources they need to, to get their businesses going. Turns out we were wrong. We were wrong on, on all fronts. And what we did is we went out and talked with successful entrepreneurs, with unsuccessful entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs who had failed in this area. Uh, we talked with the field re workers. We talked with different NGOs, different multilateral agencies. We, we met with members of the UN, members of the UN Development Program, members of the World Bank, of course, the ILO themselves to, to understand what was going on. And in talking with all of these different stakeholders and, and different people, especially the entrepreneurs, 
we found that it wasn't really there was the program was pretty well designed. They were getting the training they needed. They were they were how to start a business, how to improve a business. They were a lot of times they had access to grants, to capital. They were getting transfer payments and things like this. So there were there were was money available for these entrepreneurs, and yet still they weren't succeeding. And we found out what was going on was this scarcity mindset that we see in poverty research over and over again, which is the poor because we don't have the ability to focus on long-term objectives, long-term, because we're constantly thinking about, how am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to pay for my healthcare costs that have just all of a sudden come up out of nowhere and I don't have health insurance? Because you're constantly thinking about this, you don't have the cognitive bandwidth to think long-term. And, and studies have been done to show this. I mean, you put a middle-class American in this same situation, they're going to do the exact same thing. This isn't about intellectual ability. It has nothing to do with this. It really has everything to do with the, the situation, the context someone's in. We went in and we administered a randomized control trial test. And we said, let's go in and, and do a, a growth mindset intervention. We realized that the problem is a psychological problem rather than a training capability problem or even a capital access to capital problem. So Chad, what was your take on this? Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the real takeaway, the punchline of this whole story is that after doing this intervention, our, our findings uh, revealed that the individuals who received the growth mindset training were significantly more likely to actually take action and implement what they had learned. So the key takeaway that, that we found here is that you can give people all of the knowledge, training, and resources in the world, but if they don't have the confidence to take action, then it's not going to make a difference. So it's this idea that we need to help provide ways to overcome these psychological and social barriers in order to enable the resources and knowledge to actually come into practice. So what does that mean if you're ILO or you're USAID or you're a national government or a local government or you're an NGO or you're a consulting firm working on these issues? What does that mean in terms of how folks who want to actually help the global poor, what does that mean in terms of how we should approach these challenges? So I think a, a lot of it is it, it doesn't mean that what we're doing isn't working. It's what we're doing isn't enough. Right. And so it's we do need access to capital. We do need microfinance lending programs. We do need grant and cash transfers. Even we, those things actually have been proven to work. We do need training. The ILO has proven over and again, over and over again with the Start and Improve Your Business program, as well as many of the other training programs out there. They do have impact, just not as much as we'd like. And what it what it means is we need to add an additional component to these training programs, a psychological component. So it's not just about economic issues, right? The access to capital. It's not just about the human capital development issues. What, how do we help people give them the skills they need? It's also about mindset, about how people think about the world in which they live. It's the culture. It's the context. It's interesting. Again, I hearken back to the, to the U.S. One of the things that I love about America is that we have this this is a land of opportunity and we believe we can do things. And But that's not a true in all cases. Work has been done by, by Carol Dweck and others who have shown that, especially among 
the disadvantaged in the U.S., the poor people who don't have high, high access to education, that they have this scarcity mindset that exists and a fixed mindset, which is, that's not for me, that's for other people. I, you know, I wasn't born to be able to do that. And what we found is that there's something to being able to give psychological training, which is what we're calling this and what others have called it as well, which is helping people change the way they think about the world in which they live, which is a simple thing. And it's not just about building confidence, but it's about growth mindset training, which is, okay, it's not just you can do anything you want. It's your mind is a muscle and that muscle can expand no matter who you are, no matter what circumstances you were born into. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. And through grit and, and endurance and hard work, you can get there. And once people can recognize this and see this, and it's amazing, we've seen this in the education system in the U.S., where when they've done these growth mindset trainings, especially for economically disadvantaged individuals, it changes their, their ability to achieve, their, their belief in themselves, and their, their grit in persevering in something that's difficult that's normally people would, would give up on. Okay. In many developing countries, the optimal job might be to start your own job and become an entrepreneur. In, in the West, we often view entrepreneurship as more of a quote-unquote a unique calling, but it's more almost like a necessity in the developing world. Would you agree with that? Oh, this is absolutely true. It's interesting. You know, we, we kind of, and I think, think for me, the first time I recognized this in working in development and going in some of the developing countries of the world is you're like, well, where are the jobs? Where are the all the the big multinational firms? They don't exist there, right? And they so, don't exist. <laughs> so people are having to find their own work and make an eking out an existence in whatever way they can. So we call this necessity entrepreneurship, not instead of opportunity entrepreneurship in the US or or other developed countries. Most people in these countries have to have not only one entrepreneurship job, but often multiple, right? You'll have a family that will have between the husband and wife, four to five to six different businesses. One raising chickens, they're raising chickens together. Two, they're, they're selling fruits and vegetables with their farm, the, their small plot of land that they have that they were able to grow. Three, they may be, one of them may be a taxi driver or drive, give people rides on, on their motorcycle. What about, what should governments be doing? You said it's not enough. What's the message of this? What should we do with this study? What should people take away from this study? What should people be doing with this? One of the, the key takeaways is that from a policy standpoint, I think we often think about trying to solve problems with more money, more resources, more training, more mentoring, that if we just put more money into something that it's, it's going to solve our problems. And I think you know, we're we're not saying that more money and resources and training are not important, but the implications of this study point to the fact that in order to fully achieve the potential of those resources, there's an additional component that needs to consider the psychological dimensions, the social dimensions. You can imagine coming to a training and maybe you're learning something new that's different than how you've always done things. And maybe you're even excited and, and motivated in that training session, but then you go home and all the people around you view that differently. And they view, for example, trying something innovative that has the potential to fail as 
as something that's shameful, right? Or it could bring stigma to, to you and your, and your family. And so there's this social dimension that I think from a government or policy perspective of thinking about how do we not only provide resources, but how do we change the norms, the culture, the expectations so that individuals trying to take action on these resources are not shamed, but they're, they're viewed as supported and that the types of things that they're learning are appropriate and, and valued by others in their community and, and the country. Great. So where are you guys? Where's your future research? I always, when I do these things, everyone says future research needed, more research needed. So where are you all taking your, where is your research taking you next? I'll first comment here, Chad. One of the things that we really want to do is, you know, a lot of times as professors, especially, it's what's the next big idea, new idea. One of the things we really want to do is dig down deeper in this study and and show where does this have longer impact? How do we understand the metrics better? How do we make sure that this really is, we're getting what we say we're measuring? It really does have an impact. The reason we're doing this is this small tweak is something simple that a, a multilateral agency could implement or, or any kind of NGO training, entrepreneurship training program could implement. It's a, you could do it as a half day training, a supplement to your existing training. I think studying this in multiple locations, trying this not just in Tanzania, but taking this to a different to different countries, different countries in Africa, different countries throughout the world to see, does this have the same kind of impact? We, we piloted this multiple times before this study, and we were getting consistent, continual results over and over again. We're pretty confident in the study. It's using a randomized control trial, which is the gold standard for testing and assessing impact. Overall, we believe this needs to be tested over and over again. So we're actually, one of the things we're doing is just trying to get companies and organizations to use it. Great. Well, this is really interesting. How can people learn more about what you're doing? And was there, you all have a website you want to direct people to? You can find either of us just by searching BYU Marriott and look for our names. And then if you just Google uh, Ballard Center, Brigham Young University, that's the center we have that's focused on social impact and they have a lot of programs geared towards students and other practitioners, research and other resources that can help individuals who are interested in, in social impact. And Dan, we can also send you the, the link and maybe tag that in the, in, show the, notes. in the show notes. Yeah, this is great. Well, look, thanks so much for making time. Really interesting. I congratulate you on this really important and interesting study. Yeah, thanks, well, thanks Dan. for having us, Dan. It's, it's great to visit with you and Appreciate the opportunity. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 